So good having you here this morning. My name is Denny Henderson. I'm the executive pastor of ministry here at Woods Edge. And uh, uh, if you have a Bible, or actually let's do this. Let's go ahead and stand up. Let's read our passage this morning together. It's just an introductory passage to what we're going to be talking about. But it's found in the book of Psalm, Psalm 86. It says, And all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone our God. You may be seated. This is God's holy word. You know, when you look at, when you look at Scripture from cover to cover, uh, from cover to cover, what you're going to find, there's different themes throughout all of Scripture. And from cover to cover, you, you, you're going to recognize the themes. One theme may be that, that God is the redeeming God, that he is a God that is always on mission to redeem which, that which is broken and which is lost. We see that God in the very beginning of time, he came and he gave life. He, he breathed life into man, into Adam. And then because of the fall, he comes back and, and he gives redemption, ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ, who comes and gives life and life to its fullest. This is a story of God. This is a story of God's redemptive work, his redemptive power. But also when you look at scripture, you'll find other themes. In fact, what you're going to find as you read it from cover to cover is, is you're going to find the theme of God's glory. You're going to see that, God, that God's glory is all over, the, all over Scripture, all over from cover to cover. In fact, the glory of God is one of those things. It's, it's kind of like that thread uh, uh, on your shirt or on your sweater. Have you ever been there where uh, you just have that one piece of thread that's like sticking out from that button? And, and you want to pull it, but you know it's a 50-50 proposal here. Like, if you pull it, uh, if all things go well, you might be able to rip that off and the button will stay intact. But there's also the option that when you pull it, more than likely the button's coming off, right? Or that sweater, ladies, you're on the way to a girl's night and, and there's that one little piece of yarn or a piece of thread that's just sticking out there and you're like, if I, I gotta get rid of that. And when you pull it, you know, oh Lord, please don't let it like, you know, make shreds of my sweater and you pull it and all of a sudden it's, whoosh, there goes your sweater. Scripture's the same way. You pull on the thread of God's glory throughout Scripture. What you're going to find is it just begins to open up the story of God. And what you're going to find is when we begin to pull on these threads in Scripture, not only do we see God's redemptive purposes, not only do we see the glory of God, but what we also see is that you and I were created to worship. We were created to worship. In fact, we are hardwired for worship. That's how God created us. We are hardwired for worship. We all worship. And in the very beginning, at the very end of time, Revelation chapter 5, what we're going to see is that the multitudes will come together. Every tribe, every, tri every, tribe, every tongue, every nation will come together and we'll just worship. And Jesus will be there and, and he will be exalted and we will give worship and honor to him. We will be singing the song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is worthy to take of the scroll. Right? That's what we're going to sing. We're going to worship. So maybe you came in here today and you said, you know, I, I like everything, but I don't like the worship. My wife is the worshiper. When we come to church and for the first 20, 25 minutes when we worship, my wife is all in. I mean, she's hands up all in. So she's got enough worship for the whole family. Does that kind of get me off the hook? No, you're created to worship. All eternity is going to end with the, the voices of eternity exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Chris Tomlin's even going to be there. Right? There's going, to be like a, there's going to be like a worship war between Chris Tomlin and King David. Who can write the best songs? 
And I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, but I do know that the name of Jesus will be exalted. And we will be stepping into his fame and his glory and we'll be worshiping. And we are hardwired for worship, but not just in heaven. We're hardwired to worship even now. A, a few highlights in scripture. Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul writes to the church of Rome. And this is what he said to these believers in, in, in Rome. He says this in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor or they did not worship him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so Paul is saying, listen, this is what's happened to all of humanity because of the fall. We've stepped out of, out of harmony with God. And because of that, we've actually exchanged the glory of God. We've exchanged the worship of God. And now we have worshiped not the creator, but the created things. We're not worshiping the one who actually sits on the throne. We actually begin to worship maybe his blessings in our life. We actually begin to worship and adore and give our affection and our allegiance and our attention and all of our adoration to creation rather than the creator. And so Paul is saying, all of you worship. Maybe it's just the object of your worship's not quite correct yet. Another passage, Acts chapter 17. It's a, it's a wonderful passage. Paul's in the city of Athens. And as he's in the city of Athens, he says that he walks around the city of Athens and he ends up going up to the Oropagus, or some may, you may know it as Mars Hill. And he's standing on Mars Hill or the Oropagus and he has this discussion with the men of Athens. And he says, men of Athens, as I've walked through your great city, I've recognized that you are spiritual people. You're worshipers. For I took notice of all of your, your idols and your images, the idols that you made on worship. And then he goes on to say in this passage, he goes, and that as I observed all your idols of worship, what I noticed was the one idol with the inscription to the unknown God. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that Paul is standing at the Oropagus, the Mars Hill. Mars Hill was named after the god of war, Ares. So as he's talking to the men of Athens, he's saying, I see that there is a battle for worship everywhere you go in Athens. They have idols for everything. Idols for the sun, you know, the, the God of the sun, the God of the frogs, the God of the harvest, anything that you could possibly want. And he says, even as I was touring your city, what I noticed is there was an idol with the inscription to the unknown God. So just in case, men of Athens, you forgot anything, you could just go to this one and it's got you covered. And Paul goes on to say, it's a beautiful sermon. You go look it up for yourself in Acts chapter 17. That which you worship in ignorance, now I give to you the truth. That is the King of kings, it's the Lord of lords, it's the God of all gods, it's Jesus Christ. And he begins to explain the gospel to him. But this moment that we see of Paul in Acts chapter 17, it just resembles the way we live our life today. There is always a competition, a war a battle for worship in your life. Who's going to win out? Is it going to be the career? 
Is it going to be my retirement plan? Is it going to be my hobbies? Is it going to be a relationship? Is it going to be money? What is going to capture the throne of my heart? We live in the same battle, just as they did in Athens. And it's natural for us because we're worshipers. I mean, do you remember when Moses got up to Mount Sinai? Remember that? Not like we were there, but you remember the story? When he went to Mount Sinai, and you remember this from the flannel board in, in, in Sunday school class, but he went to Mount Sinai, he comes back down the mountain, and as he's walking back down the mountain, he hears the voices of the people singing. He must have thought that he was coming into a great welcome home parade, but as he walks down the mountain, what does he see? He sees the people of God who have taken their earrings, and they've taken their necklaces, and the candlesticks, you know, the old family heirlooms that were made out of gold, and they melted it all down, and they built themselves a calf so they could worship oh that is the human heart is that we will fashion something together that will sit on the throne of our lives because we're hardwired for worship now maybe for the next few moments we should just take a moment and, and get a working definition of what is worship just so we're all on the same page if I had to give you a definition of worship this morning, it would be this, is that worship is our, it, it's, it, worship is our response, both personally and corporately, to who God is, what he has done, and it's expressed in and by the things that we say and how we live. That's worship. It's our response to who God is, what he has done. It happens both individually and it happens corporately in here. But it's our response and an appropriate response to who God is, what he has done. And it's not just with our lips, but it's also the way we actually live our lives. That is worship. It's an appropriate response when we recognize who God is and what he has done. My son, Tripp, my oldest son, Tripp, uh, 11 years old, this past summer he played in this junior PGA league uh, out, it, outside of Austin. And uh, my son loves golf. He loves golf. I love that he loves golf because I like golf. I'm not liking right now going out and, and, you know, like if I give him strokes these days, I'm losing. So, so I'm not loving that part. But, um, but he's in this tournament, and it's a six-week league, and it finally gets to the championship weekend, and he makes it into the final pairing for the championship. Now, this is a little bit different than your normal uh, tournament that you would watch, you know, Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth play and things like that. They don't play stroke for stroke. They play whoever wins the, the hole. And so the final, the, the, the final tournament is um, the final pairing. They play nine holes, and whoever wins the most out of nine holes. And I love that my son loves golf. Now, here's the thing about golf. Golf is a sport of etiquette. I keep trying to teach my son this. Golf is a sport of etiquette, right? Like, that's what it is. Like, you know, you're quiet. Like, that's golf. So I've been trying to teach him it's a sport of etiquette. And, and in, the, in these tournaments, you know, parents can follow behind grandparents. You can have a crowd. You have a little gallery. And you can't be coached, but you can have, you, but you can have a caddy. So I act as my son's caddy. And I'm, try, I'm doing like training right now because I'm hoping that someday if he does become the next Jordan Spieth, he'll remember I was a good, good caddy back then. I'll be a good caddy in the future. That's my retirement plan. I've told him, you're my retirement plan, son. So he gets down in this final grouping. They end up, they're all squared up going into the ninth hole. Whoever wins this ninth hole or the next hole wins the tournament. So I'm a little nervous. All oh, the parents are nervous. They're quiet. They're 
all the people are watching. Got to be real quiet. They both tee off. Both had good tee shots. Ends up coming down to a, a birdie putt for my son. Now, my son, it's an 18-foot putt. I don't know how many of you play golf. Some of you play golf like I play golf. If it's within 30, it's a gimme. It's like, it's a gimme. No, I, I would have made that, you know. It's an 18-foot putt, uphill. And as we're sitting there, and everyone's quiet. They're all talking and whispering and listening. And he says, Dad, now if he makes this putt, he wins. He wins the tournament. He says, Dad, what do you think? I said, son, I'm looking at it. I go, it's uphill. going to get a little bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bend right. He goes, no, Dad, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go left. I go, no, no. It's going right. No, Dad, it's going to go left. Son, it's going right. I'm your caddy. Listen to me. And he's, he's like, no, Dad, it's going left. I don't want to argue with you out here on the green. I'm not supposed to be raising my voice. It's going to go right. He goes, no, it's going left. I said, fine. <sighs> Gets up. Takes a few practice strokes. Hits it. It's going. It's going uphill. It's getting slower and slower. It's inching towards the hole. It's going to break. It breaks left. <laughs> it breaks left, gets right to the lip of the hole, and it drops. Right? And in this moment, even though it's golf, I don't care. My son just won the tournament with an 18-foot birdie putt. And so I'm like, yes! Yes! And I pick my boy up. I'm like, you did it! You did it! He's screaming and yelling. And the other kid's over there. I don't care. I don't care about the other kid. Right? And you've been there. Don't act like you haven't been there. You've been there. Your son scores that goal. You don't care about the other team. It's him that's all about. And so you're just lifting him up, you're like, yes, uh, you know, yes, yes, we did it, you did it, we did it, I kind of helped, you know, but we did it, and then the other kids cry, and you're like, I'll worry about that later, but in this moment, this is how you respond, it's an appropriate response, given the moment, and I have a picture of it right here, this is a appropriate response when you win a trophy bigger than you, that's the appropriate response. You know, you could be on a golf course and in this moment, your kid scores a goal. Your kid sinks that last putt. They win the championship. I don't care if you're an accountant. You're going crazy. <laughs> right? Because it's an appropriate response. Worship is an appropriate response. You, you, and when you see the glory of God, when you see all who for who he is and what he has done, you respond. And sometimes the very moment, that moment, the, the, whatever is on display at that moment, it transcends the way you process life. Oh, I just don't worship. I'm not that, I'm not real artsy. I don't do music. I, oh, when the glory of God is on display and you see the person of Jesus for who he is and what he has done, that supersedes the way that you process life. There's no more of this. It's our response. It's an appropriate response. And I think there's three aspects to our response. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he said, love the Lord God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, all your soul. He says, love me with everything. Our response is a, is a, it's a, it's a love. It's a passionate love for who he is. That's why Pastor Jeff, you hear him often saying that Woods Edge, our prayer is that we will love Jesus more than he's ever been loved before. 
So it's our love. And so when we think about worship and we begin to pull the thread of scripture of what does worship really look like, it's an appropriate response. But not only is it an appropriate response, but it is a, it's a response that has to do with our affection. It's our affection. It's loving Jesus with all of our heart. Love the Lord God with all your heart. It's our affection. You know affection. Don't act like we don't. We know affection. It's when I fell in love with my wife. It's on that first date when you fell in love with your wife. It took her five years to realize she, married, she loved you. But you remember that moment. Your heart beat. You know, it skipped. Your palms were sweaty. Moms, it's when you looked in the face of your newborn and your heart just wells up. That's affection. And worship in its components is that it's our affection of our heart, but it's not just the affection of our heart. It's actually the affection of our heart that's aimed by our attention of our minds, of our minds. It's the affection of our heart that's aimed by the object of our worship, which is the person of Jesus, high and exalted. It's the affection of our hearts that gets aimed towards the throne of Jesus Christ. It says, this is where my affection is, to love Jesus like he's never been loved before. So it's our attention, it's our affection aimed by our attention, but it's authenticated through our allegiance. It's authenticated through our allegiance. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Worship isn't just something we do for 25 minutes on a Sunday. It's not just something that we do when we gather together on Wednesday evenings for our prayer service. By the way, the best service we have here at Woods Edge. It's not just the only thing that we do when we gather together. Worship is not just you, just the words that come out of our mouth. Worship for you is not just driving to work on 45, listening to a Hillsong song. Right? Worship requires that we offer all of life. We offer our allegiance. It's the affections of my heart aimed by my attention. It's my response of, yes, my lips, but of my life. It's authenticated by the allegiance of my life, by the way I live. It's me offering my, myself as a living sacrifice. I remember as a junior hire, I grew up Baptist. I don't know if there's any Baptists in the room. There we go. Amen, brother. <laughs> I grew up Baptist. We had Sunday night service, of course. And Sunday night service, once a month, we had this wonderful thing that took place. It was called Singspiration. It's a really creative thing. It's inspiration with, the, with sing. It's a Singspiration. So you are inspired by song. And you would go, and there's no rules to Singspiration. It's a beautiful, it's so beautiful. You go to Singspiration and, and what you would do is you would gather as a church and the pastor would get up and say, tonight is Singspiration and everyone would get really excited. And, and the only rule to Singspiration was basically that, that everyone could hear you, meaning that when you call out the hymn to be sung, everybody knew where to turn. And so you would all gather together and at any point that you want to sing a specific song, you would get that old hymnal, remember that in front of the, in front? And you would open that up and you would say, Psalm, uh, hymn 142. And the little organ guy, 142, and everybody would sing it. Beautiful. It's awesome. The best thing about Singspiration was that if the Holy Spirit really fell fresh, boom, 
At some point, the pastors will say, join hands. Join hands. Bind us together. Right? And as a junior hire, I've figured out that if I strategically think this through, I can sit by the prettiest girl in junior high and hold her hand. So going into Singspiration, not only was I going to be encouraged, but I might get a date out of it. And so, you know, I would think through, okay, who am I going to stand by? And, of course, it would just, you know, the place would go nuts. You know, um, you know love lifted me, love lifted me. You guys remember? Man, we would hold hands. He'd say, grab that hand. I'd be like, yes! Thank you, Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit was really moving, he would say, we ain't done yet. You grab Go across the aisles, everybody. Do it. You know, love lifted me, or great is thy faithfulness. And those arms are coming up at some point. You're going to have that guy whose arms are going up. He may even be the windshield wiper guy. But it's, it's going to get, and if you dare let go, they're going to find you and bring you back up. Like, uh-uh. Nope, that ain't, that, ain't, that ain't right. But I remember walking out of Singspiration, even as a junior hire, and saying, something doesn't feel right. Because I knew the next day I'm going to school and the things I just sang were going to be so incongruent with the way I actually lived my life. Worship is not just about singspiration. Worship is about becoming a living sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 tells us that we are to continually offer up sacrifices of praise. See, here's the deal. The word, when you think of worship, what's always connected to it is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. If you're ever wondering, what is God doing on the face of this earth? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you yourselves, like being stones and being built up as a spiritual house. We are being built up collectively as a spiritual house. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Goes on to say, but you are a chosen people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and in to his marvelous light. This is what God is doing. This is what he's doing. This is why John Piper used to always say that mission exists because worship doesn't. God is creating a worshiping community that will declare the excellencies of his son Jesus Christ to the watching world. And he says, You are chosen. You may not feel chosen today, but if you're in Christ, you're chosen. You may not feel precious today, but if you're in Christ, you are precious. You may not feel the privilege of being a part of the royal priesthood today, but if you are in Christ, you are part of the royal priesthood that declares the excellencies of Christ. And it's all predicated on this word sacrifice. The whole church is predicated on sacrifice. It was the sacrifice of Christ that redeemed you. It was the sacrifice of Christ that breathed life into you. It was the sacrifice of Christ that brought you salvation. It's always going to cost to be a living sacrifice, to offer up sacrifices of praise. It's always going to cost us something. Have you ever had that moment in your life where You look back on it and you say, well, it was worth it. 
Like maybe it was yesterday. Uh, a buddy calls you and said, hey, last minute I know, and I know you have plenty of things planned, but I have some tickets to the A&M game. I got an extra one. You want to come? Now, most of us would, would reject that offer. But some of you wouldn't mightily take it. We understand. And so you like flip heaven, ups, heaven and earth upside down to make it work. And you barely get there and you sit in the cold and maybe the drizzle, I'm not sure, but you won. And when you get back and your wife says, okay, well, you did all that. Was it worth it? And you're like, it was worth it. Or maybe it's that family vacation. All the kids want to go to Disney World. You're like, how are we going to afford Disney World? You're like, well, if we sacrifice and we save some money here, we get rid of cable. I cut back on Starbucks. The kids can't eat on Saturdays. If we do these things, we can pull it all together and we can go to Disney World. And then you go to Disney World and it truly is a magical place. And you loved it. And when you come back and family and friends are asking, how was the trip? And you say, oh, it was great. And you say, you know, to make this happen, we had to sacrifice this and this and this. And we went and it was amazing. They're like, really? And you're like, oh, it was worth it. It was worth it. Someday in eternity, we'll be singing the song of heaven and the sacrifices of praise that God's people, the spiritual house, which he is bringing to life in our world to declare the excellencies of Christ. You're gonna look at the sacrifices that you gave. It was the sacrifices of your finances. It was sacrifices possibly of relationships. It was sacrifices of time and energy and effort and the toil that we put forth for the glory of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And when we get to heaven, we're all going to look at each other and we go, you know what? It was was it? Yeah, I, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. You were hardwired for worship. You will worship something if you follow the trails of your affection and your attention and your allegiance. You will find what sits on the throne of your life. No matter what you're singing in here today, you will find what sits on the true throne of your life. As Christ's followers, he has called us to be a chosen people who are precious and dearly loved by him and to be a spiritual house that is to declare his excellencies. He calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. He calls us to be his people. And that worship, it takes our affection it takes our attention and it requires of us our allegiance. So at the end of it all, we say, it was worth it. When I see the glory of Jesus, when I see that all that he has done and all for who he is, it, the most appropriate and only response I can give is, oh Lord Jesus, take thee all of me. That's the appropriate response that he calls us to and the watching world will take notice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we want to respond to your truth. We want to respond to who you are, your response of um, who God is and what he has done. You have redeemed us. You've given us reconciliation. You have brought us and drawn us close. You have given us grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. We are your children. We are deeply loved. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that uh, as we uh, close our time together 
that we will respond with appropriate response of worship to you. And Lord, as we come to the table, as we come to the remembrance table to remember all that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, and when we take of the cup and when we take of the bread, and when we do it in remembrance of you, it will be, we will partake of it with such great hearts of praise and thanksgiving. And so church, as we, as we come to the communion tables at, at any moment that you would like over the next few moments as Colin and his team lead us, I invite you to the table to partake of the Lord's Supper of communion. And as you do it, do it in remembrance of him. Sit in the mercy of the cross and respond appropriately, not just with our lips, but also with our lives as we walk out. And it will be worth it.